Brands on Brands. In a world where content is king and your reputation is your brand, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands, a home for those that think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here is your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey, 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 what's up, everyone? Welcome to the show. I am Brandon Berkmeyer, and today, today we have an interview for you with our friend Uli Applebaum. Let me tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll dive into the show. Today, with Uli, which is all about brand positioning. But Uli himself is an award-winning marketing and brand strategy consultant with more than 20 years of experience. He was born in Germany. You'll hear that in his voice. He was raised in Africa, Belgium, and France, and then lived in the U.S. since 2002. He's held leading strategy roles at some of the largest advertising agencies in the world, including some you may have heard of, BBDO, Leo Burnett, Fallon Worldwide, and Sapient Nitro. He's contributed to seven FEs and an Advertising Research Foundation Ogilvy Award for Excellence in Research. In 2016, he founded a brand strategy firm, which he calls, cleverly enough, first the trousers, then the shoes, Inc., which we'll talk all about uh, in the show. Uh, and that's where they work for brands, including post-consumer brands and Land Lakes, which is a CPG brand, uh, Double Good, which is an online fundraising platform, Flexera and Anchor, which is a software, Siemens, and many more. He's written extensively for the Huffington Post, is a regular contributor to various trade publications in the U.S. and Europe, and has been a member of the Practitioner Council of the American Marketing Association. He's also the author of the best-selling Brand Positioning Method Cards, and uh, we will talk about his workbook too, which is, a, I think, a great resource for you guys, all at firstthetrousers.com. That's first-the-trousers.com. And uh, let's get into the show so you can hear all about brand positioning, how to think about developing it, how to make yourself unique, how to make yourself stand out in your market. All here today with Uli Applebaum. Here we go. Brands on all right, let's get going. Today, I'm excited to welcome our guest to the show, Uli Applebaum. Welcome. Welcome to the show, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Brendan. Very excited to be on your show. Looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Me too. And one of the reasons I'm looking forward to it is we get to talk about one of my favorite things, which is really how do you position your brand in the market? How do you stand out? How do you make yourself different so that people actually choose you uh, excited to jump into that today, but maybe we can start with a little bit of like macro level. Look at this for you. How do you define brand positioning and why is it important? I define brand positioning. It's a very simple, but actionable definition. And it applies to large organization, whether you talk about a Coca-Cola as a global brand or an individual, it's really the sum of the associations that um, the people around you or your customers have of you, right? So um, in my case, you immediately get, oh, the guy has an accent, he must be German. Oh, he has done strategy, he has written a book, so maybe he knows something about the subject. So it's really the sum of these associations that your audience has of you. And it's important for, for various reasons. One, it allows you to stand out. Two, it creates interest, right? It creates relevancy. So if, let's say, I associate 
um, a couple of um, key elements with the brand that makes it appealing to me. And that probably also makes it um, so that I'm willing to pay a price premium for that. Or if you apply that to an individual is, well, I'm associating with this guy a couple of traits that make him interesting or her interesting to me that makes me want to follow him in social media or listen to what he has to say or buy his book. So it really allows you to capture the uniqueness of the offering, whether it's a person or brand or product, even an idea, and stand out from the crowd. And from the brand perspective of the individual perspective, it really allows you to guide whatever it is you do. Um, so understanding what the associations are you're trying to build as a brand allows you to determine other new products I'm developing, is the communication I'm creating, other channels I'm using, reinforcing these brand associations, or is it completely off? brand. So if I now try to establish myself as an expert in positioning, start to produce a video about me mud wrestling, you know, that would create a really different association that has nothing to do with what I'm trying to achieve. You know, it might be fun and hilarious, but that will not contribute to uh, building the brand I'm trying to set up. So it really guides what you're trying to do. It allows you to determine what I'm doing helps my brand association or what I'm doing doesn't help or contradicts or works against my brand association. That's why brand positioning is so important. Yeah. I mean, what you mentioned there, there's a little bit about kind of the way we behave as businesses, as personal brands, as people in our business uh, that affects that positioning. It's easy to say what your positioning is. Maybe that's not even that easy, but if you are saying it and you're acting differently, that seems to be a challenge. Yeah. What's a good way to think about how to align the behaviors of the brand with the actual, what you want the position to be? Well, I think it's it's actually by starting with the behaviors of the brand, right? It's looking at how does the brand typically behave? What do they do? What do they believe in? These are the things you want to try to capture and then translate into something that is relevant and even and differentiating in the category, I would say, right? So it cannot be disconnected from the other because, you know, I could say, um, you know, as an organization, I'm, uh, you know, really want to save the world. I want to make the world a better place. You know, I want to improve um, the life of my community. And then I don't pay taxes. You know, I dig for oil and destroy natural habitats. You know that if a company does these kind of things, you're not going to go and position it as sort of like the saint in the industry. So you really, that's where you you have a strong introspective phases on, you know, what are the core values? And the core values is really, what is it you're willing to pay money for, right? Um, in the sense of, you know, am I willing to fall over my sword for this principle? Typical example would be um, REI, you know, claiming that, they want people on Black Friday, which is coming up, to go out. Now, it's one way to say it, you know, say, I want you guys to explore nature. It's another one to actually close your stores and, you know, incur a fairly loss in profit and revenue during that day to support the claim you're trying to make. So, you know, if I continue to stay open on Friday, Black Friday, but say, hey, you should go out and explore nature you lose any form of credibility if you shut down and close and are willing to pay a cost for that. Then you see this congruence, this consistency where consumers say, I believe you, I trust you, you know, I buy into what you have to offer as opposed to just saying, yeah, that's just marketing BS, that's just, um, you know, uh, hot air or trying to fool me into believing what you are not. 
So it's really the congruence between those two that makes a big difference. You know, what would you say is like a good way? Because if you're trying to find something that makes you unique, you're trying to find that point of differentiation. What are some real like tactical steps to figure that out? Because a lot of brands are going to sound the same in general. So what is the, what is the step to say, this is how you find it, that thing that it makes you unique? It depends on, on at what level you're talking. If it's at a brand level, like at a large corporation that, that runs many brands or that tries to build many brands, it's you understand, you start with your target audience, right? You try to understand what are their needs, what are their aspirations, what are their wants? Is there a specific segment that shares specific values that my brand's offering taps into or really has something to offer? And what I mean with that is, Let's say, you know, one example I mentioned in the book is luxury luxury watches, you know. So you have the watches for people who like to show, hey, I made it, you know, I, I'm successful, I'm going to wear Rolex. You know, there are other brands that said, oh, yeah, I made it, I'm successful too, but I'm on the adventure. Uh, you know, I want to show an image of uh, I travel the world, I, you know, speak these appearances. And for these type of uh, people, you'd have a brand like Breitling, which is more about, you know, the aviation um, heritage and stuff like that. So you look at the affinity people have and what aspect of your brand you can connect with that. And then you have another brand like Patek Philippe, a Swiss brand, you know, where people realize, okay, those are really wealthy people, but that understate a bit their wealth so they don't have to flash it. So this is not like a Rolex crowd. But for them, what's important to them is you know, experience with the family, family values, leaving a legacy and stuff like that. So the brand is all, all positioned about, you know, Patrick is the type of brand that you keep until you're ready to give it over to your next generation, you know. So you understand what drives your consumers um, and then try to position your brand against these values or these need states if they are true to what your brand, um, if what your brand represents, like Breitling, you need to look rugged. You need to look a bit more adventurous in your in the look of your product if you want to appeal to this adventurous type. And on a personal level, what I've noticed is I did recently. I mentioned that earlier, uh, Brandon, uh, um, you know, did a project for a for a personal coach, like an executive coach. Um, and there we we really started with understanding okay, what is his vision, what is his um, sort of like, where does he see his point of differentiation? But then what I did is I talked to a dozen of his current clients and ask them, what do you think about, you know, this guy, about his services, what are his strengths, what makes him stand out? So all of a sudden, it's not only what you think you stand for and you project, it's literally getting feedback from those who work around you. And then some of the elements you'll see, you'll be surprised with like, oh yeah, that's uh, that's exactly what I thought it would be. And other elements would be completely different from what you expected. So really gathering so it's sort of like this sweet spot if you take a Venn diagram between what is unique about me, the way I think, what I produce, how I produce it, and what is it my customer segments want, and you try to find the sweet spot between those two uh, circles, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. And you know, I think this idea of values, I think it's worth talking a little bit more about because I think it's possible for similar companies, especially when you're talking about personal brands, to have similar values and to be bringing similar values to the table. You, you could say two coaches in a, in a particular business say, you know, they want to help certain people achieve certain results. Like that's the value they want to bring in terms of transforming and impacting someone's life. How do you 
add to that in a way that the values or something else is truly creating differentiation because that might not be enough uh, in some cases. It might not be enough, but but you'd be surprised how first how difficult it is to achieve this this sort of like a shared value status. So it's not that easy to achieve. But the way I look at it is, and that's often a misunderstanding in the industry, is not simply shared values. It's really shared aspirational values. Or put it differently, is if I tap into the values you aspire to, as opposed to your current values, I give you an opportunity to either grow beyond who you see you are and tap into the sort of like ideal image you have yourself. It's all about self-perception, right? Is we we see ourselves as probably better than we really are, you know, friendlier, smarter, uh, more environmental conscious. And every brand that helps us support and attain these sort of like aspiring values uh, we try to live to, um, we'll embrace them because they help us get closer to our self-perception stupid example is if i feel like i'm an adventurer you know and all i do is drive to the grocery store well i may drive to the grocery store in a jeep you know or in a hummer um, that makes me feel like oh i live up to my when people see me they're gonna think i'm an adventurer even though i probably drive you know eight miles per week uh, just to target or to walmart to do my shopping uh, but the point is when you understand what people aspire to and can tap into that with your offering then you really win because then you give them something that nothing else out there is giving them. If that makes sense. It does. It does. Now, I think what's interesting to me is brands tend to take on personalities from what I've seen, you know, or you naturally just have a personality and that seems to inform some of the positioning because you could have two brands with that, that seem similar, but their personalities are vastly different. Where does personality play a role and how do you hone that in a way that that helps speak to consumers one way or the other that draws them to you instead of someone else? Well, personality is, again, this thing that comes from the inside, right? Um, you know, I'm not a comedian, but and so if, if I go into a business environment, I cannot be the sort of like funny, let's say, branding experts. Yeah? I can, can get a list of 20 jokes and try to throw them out, but you'll very quickly notice that, one, I'm not funny, and two, that it's forced, right? So it really needs to come from from within. And it also requires courage, right? Especially when you develop a brand or a corporate brand, because often the effort is, I don't want to rub anyone in the wrong way. So I don't want to, you know, push the edges, if that makes sense. And the problem is humor is always rubbing in the edges, right? You can be like, can be like a boyish college frat type humor. You're going to rub off 64% of the population if if you're okay with that, that's fine. If you focus the specific audience, um, some brand that's for me have done it extremely well at in their origin is the brand like Southwest Airlines, um, which um, you're familiar with. Southwest is a low cost carrier, um, you know. So initially, they really differentiate themselves uh, through the prices they offer um, and the low prices they offer. But they were very, but they're like half a dozen other low cost carriers. But what they did, which was really smart, is they differentiated them through their personalities, right? And we all know the sort of like safety instruction at the beginning of the flight. That's how they became popular, you know, to have very funny safety announcements that really made people take notice or the announcement the pilots would make. Or here, I live in Minneapolis, so our airport is U-shaped. 
and um, uh, Southwest is often at the end of a terminal. So you walk a lot to get there. So, you know, what they did, decided to put like billboards along the way, you know, saying like, hey, uh, you walked already 10 minutes, another 10 minutes, and you'll be there. And like, you walked a lot, but you pay less for that. You know what I mean? So they play with the situation. So Southwest has really managed to clearly differentiate themselves through their sense of humor as a low-cost carrier. And that creates sympathy, right? A lot of people are a fan of this brand, a fan of this company, and, and immediately will associate uh, Southwest with a quirky personality, Now, which in itself is already different and distinctive because when you think about airplanes, you think about safety, you think about this, you don't think about, you know, oh, they're quirky. Um, it's sort of like there's an inherent tension in there, but it works well for them. You know what I mean? You technically, you want like a boring engineer flying your plane, um, you know, that has been um, looked on and looked at by another bunch of boring engineers that know their job, but you don't think about them as quirky and funny. You know what I mean? So by, by creating this personality that creates a bit of a tension with what the brand offers, you really allow the brand to stand out significantly. No, I like that. I like that a lot. You know, I'd like to go to the other side of the coin here and say there are mistakes that people often make when either designing the the brand positioning or in in actually like executing it other than what we've kind of talked about which is just being out of alignment right not being authentic yeah. are there other mistakes you're seeing in this space that happen that we should look out to to avoid there's a long list of mistakes i see happening yes one is not do enough homework right so not try to understand your customers or your consumers and what really drives them or not trying to understand your competition. So just thinking, oh no, we don't need to do all that. You know, we we have a toothpaste that uh, tastes good. That's what we're gonna focus on um, as, a, as a simple example. That's number one. The second thing is, and you have that a lot um, also with the, as a syndrome with a lot of entrepreneurs and um, and small business owners and, and coaches and stuff like that is you have to be very, selective in what you want to focus on so the big mistake is you know what do you stand for you get a list of 36 items you know way too much choices you know and i'm nice and i'm professional but i'm approachable you know but i'm competent um and so you have like all these kind of you know i have a, a nice sense of humor but i'm not too funny you know you have like this whole list of different features and association that you can create which is not realistic in the business world to do because no one has five billion dollars to create all this association so it's really um, narrowing down your choices to the one or two or three brand associations that you think are the most distinctive and the most valuable for potential customers. So that's why I like to work with sort of like bubbles in terms of like, you know, each bubble represents a brand associations. And when you start to create a desired sort of like a set of brand associations, you realize very quickly that you're not going to be able to build 25 or 26 of them. You're going to boil it down to, you know, one which ties you back to your category another one that, you know, ties you back to what you actually have to offer and maybe different, you know, you realize that you need to boil it down. So adding way too many um, benefits or promises to your brand position um, or to your value proposition is a huge mistake. And that part of that, the other side of that coin is sort of like strategy by compromise, right? Oh, Brendan wants me to add um, a couple of things to not include a specific segment. So I'm going to throw that in there as well. And then Bill has another opinion and has, I don't want him to be offended. So I'm going to add what he puts, he wants me to add as well. So you get like this 
strategies by consensus, which look great on paper, make uh, all your colleagues and stakeholders within a company happy, but then you try to execute against that, and you're like, I, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to communicate, I don't know how to communicate it because it's a bit of everything. You know, that that's my big big reproach to um, a few years ago. Um, uh, management consulting firm, Adam McKinsey, Boston Consulting, started to get into the field of marketing. And they brought in this notion of uh, value proposition. And value propositions are this sort of like catch-all. It sounds so great because it's really everything to everyone, but you can't work with that. Um, you can't you can't execute against it. And the last point, which is connected, and then I'll, I'll be quiet, I promise, is you know having such a generic brand strategy or brand position that you say the creative team will solve that for us you know it's you know a typical example is food product tastes good and is healthy dear creative find an original engaging and really differentiating way to bring that to life you know that's lazy because you're delegating it to um, your creative team or the creative team that executes uh, to solve the problem for you because you either couldn't or didn't want to or weren't able to to solve it. So those are problems I often see when developing positioning strategies. So my, my job as a consultant is often just to coach an organization, to manage an organization through that process. Know you have too much, know that's generic, know that's relevant internally, but not to the consumer and just navigate them through the whole process. Yeah, you know, I in looking at some of the, the work you've done and some of the things you put out there into the world, uh, and by the way, the uh, the website that uh, if you guys are looking for Uli is, you want to tell them the name? Yes, it's firstthetrousers.com <laughs> with a dash in between each word. So first minus the minus trousers.com. Can we talk about like where that name came from? <laughs> well, it's short for the, the full name of the company is first the trousers, then the shoes, which would be too long as a, as a, a, a website earl. And it really just came from from me well it was a, a drunk brainstorm to be candid with you where i was <laughs> brainstorming with friends and we were looking for a name for my company i didn't want to be call, calling myself you know brand consulting applebaum consulting which is like boring and not reflective of how i think and work so you know after a couple of beers um that was in germany still we came up with this name and the next morning i looked at it and it really resonated with me and the way it resonates is it really says what i do is i focus on strategy not execution and i believe strategy needs to come first and then um uh, what it also does it's, it's a more playful creative way uh, to name a company so to say which is exactly my philosophy in brand strategy as, as we talked um uh, prior to the the recording is really, I believe, strategy development is a creative ideation process. It's a creative problem-solving exercise. So applying techniques and principles and tools of creative idea generation to strategic thinking leads to better strategies. So all that encapsulates uh, is encapsulated in first the trials, then the shoes. Well, I appreciate you taking us through it because I think the examples like really bring it to life. When someone says, you know, like anyone could do brand positioning, what's unique about you? It's like, well, yeah, like 
a lot of the things you're going to find between me and other people are the same. But what I like to start with is the strategy, and then we apply the creative process. And you know, there's a form and yeah. format to executing this, and that's exemplified in the name that you've built for the company. So I think it comes to life uh, when we look at that as an example. Absolutely, I hope so. I hope so. Thanks for saying that. It's probably turning off some people. You know, they think that's I'm serious, but at least when you come and work with me, you know what you're getting. You know that it's going to be a creative idea generation process that is very rigorous, but it's different than simply, uh, you know, let's look at some data and come to a conclusion on what the strategy should be. Um, right. It's very different. Well, let's talk about that creative process a little bit, because there is some structure to how these things go in terms of like the questions you have to ask, but what role does creativity play in bringing this to life? How do you bring that in and what role does it play? Mm -hmm. What creativity does, Brendan, is really and the techniques and the tools. Um, so you're right, creativity is like, the big misbelief is that, you know, creativity is you get it as a gift when you're born, you know, and the, all you got to do is sit under the tree until an apple hits you on the head and say, now, you know, I'm uh -huh. going to build Tesla. Aha, uh -huh, exactly. Um, what people tend to forget is that creativity is the outcome of a process. And the purpose of that process is one, to really try to understand what is it you're trying to solve for but two is really to give you techniques and principles and exercises that allow you to think about your problem in a way that your brain naturally would not so to really you know this notion of outside the box the box is your brain and we have so many biases that hold us back um, that limit the way we think they're useful they are important in the way we manage our life but they, they predict basically the type of answers where you're going to come up with. Using creativity allows you to, in principle, the way I look at it is when, when we develop a positioning platform for, for our clients, um, if you do it without technique, creativity technique, you may come up with like, you know, five, six, seven, eight, maybe 10, if you're very experienced. With this methodology, I can easily come up with 25, 30, um, because I get you to think differently. I get you to get out of your own skin to put you in, in you know, another perspective's um, place. And that allows you to come up with really way more idea. And the logic here, and that's what has proven to be true in my in my world, is like if you have to choose from 10 options, you know, you might find a good one. If you choose from 25 to 30 options, the likelihood that your solution will be different from everything that's out there is significantly higher because people in other companies are as smart as you, use the same data as you, so we'll probably come up with the same 10 solutions. If I give you tools to, to think differently and to make connections that you haven't made before or weren't able to create before, you know, we're still going to have, you're going to have more waste because you're going to have 24 to 29 ideas that are completely wasted. But the one idea is going to be more creative while being strategically relevant, if that makes sense. So that's why credit creativity really becomes important. It allows you to generate options and alternatives that on your own, you wouldn't be able to come up with. Um, and that's the whole point of that. So, you know, I see that in the world of marketing a lot where you have brands trying to, brand teams trying to understand how do I position my brand? And then they'd be thinking like, well, the consumer wants something that is convenient, that tastes good if it's a food product. Maybe that's also healthy. So then you have like the convenient, healthy, tasty solution. 
you know, I can name you 300 brands that fall in that category, you know, so if I, if I use that as a strategy, I'm going to be true to the consumer, but I'm going to be completely generic. I'm not going to help my team bring that to life. Maybe you can use to a point earlier, the personality and say, you know, I'm the quirky, healthy, convenient, tasty food brand, you know, then you differentiate yourself. But um, um, so it's really allowing you to find new space, new territory out there. Yeah, no, I like that. I think this, we talked a lot about the development uh, process. I think that there are some ingredients here that we haven't covered on yet. And I think this has to do with the idea of how you develop influence or clout uh, mm-hmm. as a brand or even as a personal brand or anything. I mean, when I think about any product that like suddenly was recommended by a doctor, right? They got a stamp of approval or that mm-hmm. some influencer said, this is what I recommend, mm-hmm. or you have testimonials or you have like all these little checkpoints that provide some kind of social proof or clout to a brand start to reinforce what we are talking about that you're building. Like it becomes like the behavior that supports the idea. You talk about this a lot uh, in some of the things that you put together in terms of how you create those associations. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe you can talk a little bit about how you do that with purpose. How do you come up with some things that you build as like an association, like plan into your process? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I work on this method. I work on this. I developed this methodology, and what I discovered is, and I looked at hundreds and hundreds of uh, cases of successful brand building, and what I discovered is there are basically twenty six major sources of associations. Now, probably twenty four and a half or twenty six and a half. I don't really care. There are twenty six territories that you can explore to create these um, brand associations out there, and so that's based on as I said, hundreds of case studies and true and tried. So nothing magic. There's no magic bullet that you would say, Brandon, I've never heard of that before. No, an experienced marketer will have heard of everything, every single one of them, never in this constellation though. And so the idea is really you can really successively explore each of these 26 sources and say, does it apply to my case? And if yet, how would it apply to my case? So typical example, and I'm stretching it a bit here to, to illustrate the point. Um, you know, country of origin is a big uh, one of the 26 sources of association. So where the product comes from, and that can be, you know, made in the U.S. Uh, increases the perceived value. But in my case, it could be, you know, I'm from Germany. So what do people associate with Germany? Maybe a rigor, you know, an engineering mindset. They know how to build. So naturally, you would think maybe it really is a bit like that. You know, and maybe a goofball that doesn't understand anything about building anything but you create these associations naturally um, with me. So, and then you really go through the combination, exploring them, seeing how they apply to your case, and then um, um, trying to see, are they strong enough to really add value to my potential customers? And are they strong enough to make me stand out? So that that applies there. But there's another criteria that you can always apply is, will this association get people to talk about me? And at the closest level is simply, you know, your consumers, your your um, um, people that you interact with. But you win the jackpot to your point if it becomes an influencer. You know, so I can go out there and say, Brenda, no, really, I really have a cool book. It's really an awesome book. You should buy it. You're going to learn a lot. So say, yeah, whatever. You're selling me whatever you're trying to sell. If now, let's say, a, a major professor out there or an influencer you follow and listen to and, and respect, 
rubs up the book and says, hey, everyone, you should buy Uli's book. And I see that. I mean, you see that yourself in your in your own um, online metrics, right? If, if I get an endorsement by someone that has influence in my world, my book sales go up. You know, if I get an endorsement from my grandma, nothing happens, you know. So um, as you create this association, um, one question you can ask is really, you know, what is what association will promote people to try to uh, share that information or make it valuable enough for it to be shareable? Uh, something you can consider in in, in um, selecting which association you want to create, if that makes sense. Well, I like that you have such an exhaustive list because I think most of us, especially if people are doing it themselves, which they are a lot of the time, they maybe shouldn't be. They might stop at like the two or three more obvious associations that they see happening in their industry instead of really not seeing the more subtle things that people are doing that they don't even notice. I mean, I think the geography one's a perfect example that no one thinks of. Like if I say to people, yeah, I have, you know, I've worked in marketing advertising for 20 years. That may not mean as much as if, if I say I worked at Madison Avenue ad agencies Absolutely. on on yeah. fortune 100 companies in new york city That's that exactly right. that comes off very different than you know i worked at a small agency in the middle of idaho yeah, you know exactly right. the experience yeah. might be just as good but they're like well wait a minute like i know that there's a different rigor associated with this geography so i love that no one, a lot of people wouldn't even have thought of that no and it's so obvious right and, and when you think when when you hear about it you're like das, yeah that's so obvious and your point you don't think about it automatically and that's what i was you perfectly illustrated the point i was trying to make earlier is with this methodology and the 26 sources of association you think about ideas that on your own you wouldn't be able to come up with um, and so it gives you a way wider spectrum of potential solution and then you can look at it you know maybe people don't even know who where madison avenue is you know or why that matters but at least you've explored it and you've um, you've um, uh, looked into it as a potential way to differentiate yourself I love it. And I, if people want to get this, to get their hands on this themselves, the, the book is called the brand positioning workbook and it's available on the website. Find the trousers first, the trousers.com <laughs> with the dashes in between the words. Can you give us, I think people should go get this, but maybe we can tease them with like one more association. Cause I think those they're brilliant. Like one more that's like, here's something, another thing you just probably haven't thought of for it might be powerful for you guys, especially in the uh-huh. personal branding space. Well, I thought you you limit your podcast to less than an hour. We can go ah. on for twelve <laughs> hours now. Um, there, there are plenty. So, maybe to simplify, it, there are three sources uh, of association. One is the context in which you position your brand. Um, you know, this can be true for an orange juice and for an individual. The second one is what type of benefit do I offer to my consumers, and that can be you know very functional, um, uh, sort of like. Uh, practical benefit, but it can be a shared value or shared aspirational value, as we talked earlier. And the third is simply me talking about me as a brand, talking about what makes me different from the origin we just talked about, you know, the way I'm being manufactured, who I'm endorsed by, and all this kind of thing. So one example which I always find interesting is for uh, brands, actually two um, that, that represent two sides of the same coin. One is trying to understand what consumer rituals um, consumers go through that can be relevant to your brand. And a ritual are all these sort of like behaviors we go through um, day in, day out, right? It can be anything from the steps I go through in the morning to get ready for my work day, or 
typical example is, you know, I come home at night, I've been in the office all day, let's say, um, you know, I take off my tie. That's like the old school way. I kick off my shoes, put my sweatpants on. This behavior is a ritual that tells me, that takes me from, you know, I've been uh, on top of my game all day long to now I can relax and chill. Um, now, if you are an alcoholic beverage brand, you can play into that moment and say, hey, you know, the, the second you open your bottle of German beer is the second you have arrived home out of this ritual. So you can try to embed yourself in a ritual. Um, the other side of that is you can try to ritualize your brand usage. And what that means is make your brand, um, you know, go through a tiny little ritual to increase the perceived um, uh, quality and, and value of the brand. This can be as simple as, you know, why do people squeeze a, a slice of lime in a Corona bottle? You know, does it really enhance the taste? Yeah, you think it does because you do it. But simply the fact to, you know, push it in there, um, it is more than simply taking it out of the fridge and opening it. So you do a little something to make it better. That's sort of like ritualizing the consumption. Or another example, which my family loves, it's Ferrero Rocher, the little um, uh, chocolate balls from Ferrero. They come in this little paper tray and they're wrapped in this golden paper and you literally have to unfold them like it's something precious, you know. They could also have these balls in a plastic bag and you just grab them and throw them in your mouth. But simply the fact that you have to open them is like a ritual you create that makes you, oh my God, this is going to be so good. It's, and as soon as your brain tells you that it's going to be so special, you're going to, it's going to taste better, you're going to feel better about it, and you're going to be willing to pay a higher price. So rituals, for example, is are two other ways to really anchor your brand into something that is relevant to consumers. And that is just an alternative to um, country of origin, right? A very different mechanism, but as powerful and can be as effective for your brand. But simply talking about it, and when you look at the, when you go through the book, you'll have 26 of those, right? So we can have a conversation on where we come from and whether that's relevant on a brand ritual to see whether, you know, are there consumers ritual we can tap into or are there ritual we can create around the um, the um, consumption of my brand? So good luck trying to come up with these three subjects on our own when we discuss, say, brand. And so how do we position, you know, my next book, you know, um, so it really gives you the tools to think wider, differently, but yet every single time relevant um, to the task at hand. Yeah, no, I love that because I've I've seen that. I mean, in the personal branding space, I've seen it play out where people are like they either create the ritual or it's and that ritual they create people want in their lives. They're like, mm -hmm. I'm the morning routines person. Like yeah. here, you know, I coach on these other things, but the morning routines brought people into the like, yeah. I need that in my life. What are your routines? I want to do what you're doing. Yeah. Or they're like, I'm the fun, you know, whatever it is. I all, you know, it's like, whoop, like uh, uh, CEOs who drink wine or whatever the thing yeah. is. And it's like yeah. that association says, oh, they're like me. And I, that makes me comfortable. I want to do something like they're doing because yeah. they seem like someone I could be a friend with, you know, That's there's. Right. 
There's those kind of things, which I think people don't look at those as branding, but they really are. Like it brings people to you, attracts the people to you that are like-minded uh, that and repels people away that wouldn't be great customers for you. Um, and I don't- true. I think it's a great example that people don't think about those things enough. I, I appreciate you sharing all these methodologies today. And I think, again, guys, if you want the if you want the full list, which I think you should be looking at, uh, all the different things you could bring in, you're, you might be missing some very powerful uh, items that you could be bringing into your message, into your workflow, into your everyday. And especially like if you do content creation, bringing that into and talking about more of those things that make you different, that make you the right choice for your customers. Yeah. I think it's hugely powerful. Uh, as we're wrapping up here today, Willie, I think uh, I would ask you, is there anything that you are excited about uh, in terms of the future and what's where, whether it's in the brand space or just in general with you? Well, um, thanks for asking. Um, yes, I am. It, but it's not like one specific thing is, um, you know, as an independent consultant or running a small company, um, I was really hit hard by the pandemic. Um, so, you know, I went through a year of struggles and then things started to pick up a year and a half or a year ago. Um, and you know, then I decided to launch the book and stuff like that. But now when I look at 23, 24, um, I just see a bright future, both in terms of the opportunities Um um, the book has created and opened up, um, you know, reaching out to people like you, to a whole bunch of people reaching out to me that I would never have been able to contact before. So I look at that very enthusiastic. So you know how as a business person, you always go through waves, ups and downs. You're catching me right now on a high where I'm thinking like, you know, everything is good. Business is good. Family is great. Relationship is fantastic. Finances are running. So it could be that in two months you hit me in a low and that'll be everything sucks, you know, and, and doesn't good look. But right now I'm in this way where I look into the future and I'm thinking like, you know what? Um, I'm very optimistic about, about where we're heading, even though there is inflation, even though there is a crisis, um, we're headed towards. Um, I feel very excited about life in general. So put it, put it simply, um, that's what I'm really excited about. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge, your perspective with the people today. I think it's going to help a lot of people think differently about their brand positioning. Absolutely. And again, if you guys want that brand positioning workbook, head to firstthetrousers.com with a dash in between the words uh, and or just Google Uli Applebaum and you know that stuff will pop right up for you. Absolutely. Uh, appreciate you coming on and talking to us today, man. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. And for everyone else, thanks for tuning in and listening each week, and we will catch you next time. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to help you build a brand that matters. Head over to BrandsOnBrands.com for resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit BrandsOnBrands.com.